Good morning. It is Saturday, October 2nd, and I was going to make a post on my Instagram account, my faith account. And as I was thinking about making the post, I was like, where am I ever going to end this? There's going to be multiple posts because there is so much in the next few chapters of John. So this is really a Bible study, and it starts with chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to go through chapter 17. These are some of the most insightful things that we can get because Jesus talks to his disciples a ton in these chapters. So these are really great chapters to read if you really want to get to know Jesus. And um, I've pretty much lined up or outlined or made lines all through my study Bible. Um, noting specific verses that really stood out to me. So I'm going to get into those chapters and summarize it along the way. So it starts out in chapter 12, um, says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So in a prior posts on Instagram. I don't know. I've talked about it too, where Jesus raised him from the dead. He had actually been in his tomb for four days when Jesus told him to get up and walk out. So um, this is a really good friend of his, um, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Um, they were all relatives and really close with Jesus. Anyway, he goes over to dinner at their house and Mary takes this really expensive perfume and starts anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And then Judas, the one who eventually betrays Jesus, um, he speaks out against it. And he's, you know, he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's worth of wages. Uh, and it says in the Bible, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief a keeper of the money bag. He used it to help himself to what was put into it. It's really interesting. There's different clues along the way about Judas. Um, I was trying to figure out like when he first became Jesus's disciple, but it's interesting because he had, Jesus had 12 followers originally, and Judas was one of them. But Judas was not the same as all the others. He was a follower, but he, he wasn't his heart wasn't in it. And you will see that from the beginning. And there are other podcasts or writings that I've done that I've said, you know, we make ourselves available either to God or to evil to be used. And Judas is a very good example of this. He was appeared to be one of the 12 closest to Jesus. Yet at the same time, he himself made the choice. He was open to evil. He was doing things. So he's like one of the closest people with Jesus, but he is doing things that are not Christ-like at all. I mean, they are not the things that Jesus would ever do, like, you know, taking money, keeping money from others and using it for himself. He is selfish, selfishness is sin. That's basically the root of sin. When you look at something, if you want to figure out, is it sin or is it not? Is there a selfish motive behind it? And if there is, then yeah, there's, there's sin there. Um, it's something that God doesn't 
promote. He doesn't, um, he doesn't want us to be selfish and selfishness is natural to us. That's kind of the way we're born into this world that way where it's very evident when you look at little kids because little kids know no better. I mean, they, they just know about their own needs being taken care of. And we are just like that. Um, we come in as kids, we're naturally selfish and over the time that we're here on earth, we have to learn, unlearn how to be selfless. We have to unlearn how to be selfish and become selfless. So anyway, getting back to what's happening here, um, Jesus replies back to Judas. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. At the time, this was also kind of a prophetic thing that was happening because um, she was actually, without probably knowing it, she was anointing him. And in the study Bible I have, it explains that um, customarily the uh, the people who were being prepared to go to die or to go into the tomb were given a lot of really heavy perfume to keep the odor down. And um, that's really disgusting, but that's what the study Bible said. So without her knowing this, she was actually doing this and she was at the feet of Jesus, almost representative of like a servant to him. So it's kind of interesting how these things happen in the Bible. Anyway, um, so after this, because of what Jesus did with Lazarus, how he raised him from the dead, it was drawing a bunch of people to seek Jesus. And they, and it was kind of like a, um, you know, he became a show almost like everybody wanted to meet him. They wanted to see Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. Well, yeah, that would draw a lot of attention. And one of the verses in the Bible says, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So this was, again, like we talked about before, um, Jesus, any kind of miracle that happened was all used to glorify God, to reveal God, to help people believe in God. And it was working. People were believing. And you have those opposing Jesus who were actually the chief priests. I mean, they were going against them, but they did not have God in their heart. That's what the interesting thing is. You can't always know that someone who represents themselves as being godly or connected or religious, really, if they're, if what is in their heart is true or if it's a show, if it's fake, if it's deception. And that's what we're seeing here. Even back then, there was there were deceptive people who appeared to be really religious, appeared really close to God, but yet they were very far from him. And God knew that as well. So then um, the next thing that happens is the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they greet him like a king, and he finds this young donkey, and um, like it's a colt, and sat on it. And this is very symbolic. First of all, it fulfills um, scripture, 
And it's also, there's a lot of symbolism in it. Um, the It's Jesus Jesus's humility as a king, and he's coming in on a donkey's colt. So those, those are typically not very, um, usually they're very wild and you can't tame them. You know, if there's something, you know, they're not broken yet, like a horse, you know, you have to wait till they're two years old and then go through this process of making them comfortable with somebody riding on their back. But Jesus goes and gets this young colt who probably wasn't very docile, except Jesus was on him. So that was even miraculous. I mean, these are little things that, you know, on the surface, you probably don't think about until you start studying it and thinking about this. And this is also not just me coming up with this. I actually heard this in a um, another uh, podcast um, about this donkey's colt. And I thought, yeah, that is true. It's really insightful um, that someone else figured that out. And then um, going back to this, they um, it, we get to the point where, um, let me see, sorry. Oh, this is another point. Okay, in it's uh, chapter 12, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So when the um, disciples were there, they were experiencing all of this, but they didn't make the connection that in the Old Testament, these things were talked about. These things were prophesized. These things were predicted. They didn't get it until after the fact. And, and how often does that happen to all of us when we're, we're doing something and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, wow, I just remembered this. You know, I, I just made that connection. Well, that's what's happening to the disciples of Jesus, too. So uh, the Pharisees are watching all of this. The Pharisees are those religious people who seem like they are close to God, but really they aren't because they're just really good at doing all of the religious tradition things. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They don't like this. It's so weird to me. But anyway, um, you know, these people who are supposedly God people aren't, they aren't accepting Jesus. That's, that's the problem right there. So then Jesus um, predicts his death. So again, when prophetic things happen, these are only to help people believe that this is true. So it's talked about before it happens, and then when it happens, it's supposed to bring people to belief. So at this point, Jesus tells, the, this is something that I underlined, um, that Jesus said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Right there is Jesus is telling his disciples why he came to earth. 
it was to glorify God. That is glorify God and enable us to have eternity with God. So Jesus is telling them why he's there. At that time when he tells them this, then it says, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, said it had thundered. Others said it was an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus said, the voice, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now, now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is also interesting because Jesus is telling when he is lifted up. So when he is raised and he goes from earth up to heaven, he will draw all people to himself. This is the part where, you know, we could talk about the rapture when Jesus comes back, that he draws people to himself and um, when he returns again. So it's really kind of interesting how pieces of this information are scattered throughout the Bible. But listening to Jesus's words are so insightful and tell us so much. Um, the voice, you know, there are people who heard this voice that came from heaven. And so this is something that is documented. These are people that actually heard this. And so again, it brought belief of those people who heard it. It was thunder and they hear God speaking. It's just really interesting um, in the scripture to find, find out these things. Um, <clears throat> Jesus then told, tells them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. While, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So, in this, I mean, Jesus talks about himself being the light of the world. And um, he talks about like while he was there, he was the light of the world. And that's how in Revelation, it talks about there's not going to be any darkness, that God just will provide the light. Like in the eternity, there's not going to be any nighttime. Nighttime is associated with darkness and it's associated with evil, which is really interesting throughout the Bible. There's something more to it than I really fully understand, but very interesting. And he also says, you know, to walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. So there's this darkness that's trying to overtake all of us. And Jesus is boldly talking about that. There is, um, there's a lot of, a lot more information in this. Um, so the people are some are believing and some are not believing. And it says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. So there are some people all the way to the end that are not going to believe this. And it was like that in the very beginning. And Jesus knew that. And sadly, those are people who just, they make a choice. Believing is a choice. 
and people who don't believe are making that choice. So I guess we really can't feel that sorry for them because they are given the same opportunities that we are to believe. And if they choose not to believe, um, they've, they've sealed their future really. Um, so this is, this is another insightful comment um, in the Bible. And it was talking about the motivation of all those people who wanted to kill Jesus. Um, here it is yet at the same, or not kill Jesus. I'm sorry. I misspoke. Um, this is about belief in Jesus yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for they feared they would be put out of the synagogues for they loved human praise more than praise from God. So in their heart, they knew who Jesus was, but yet they wouldn't say it because they were too attached to this world, like Jesus said. And that's how you lose your life. That's what Jesus said. If you are too attached to the world and you're too concerned with what everybody else thinks, you are putting yourself at risk of losing eternal life with God. And that's what these people did. They they cared more about what people thought than about what God would think. And then Jesus says, um, if anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. For I did not speak on my own. But the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. Throughout a lot of Jesus's talks, he constantly says, I'm not speaking on my own. I am speaking what the father is speaking. He also says, I am only doing what the father is doing. I'm working because the father's always working. It's all these things like there is this unity that we don't understand because it's in this supernatural realm that Jesus and God have this connection that is different than anything that we can understand or comprehend because Jesus refers to God as in him and he is in God. So there is this unison unity that, that, you know, we don't experience that as human beings. Um, and I can see why they actually use like marriage for that, because when someone unifies themselves um, with their husband or wife, then they become one physically, in a sense. Um, but Jesus is talking about a spiritual oneness that is something that um, we don't comprehend, but it probably makes sense why so often Jesus compares the relationship between us and him to a marriage between the bride and the bridegroom. And maybe it's just because that's the easiest thing for us to ex understand um, here on earth, because we don't have the comprehend comprehension of the supernatural. So I've only gotten to chapter 12. Now let's see how much further I can go. Cause I have so much, I mean, there, like I said, there's so much in this, uh, book and these chapters to talk about that 
I don't know, I might have multiple podcasts. So then we're on um, chapter 13. Um, this is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Jesus takes this very, very, very humble role. He knows who he is. He knows he and God are one. And yet at the same time, the way he treats all the people around him, he treats them like he is their servant, which is very unusual for anyone in the world. Obviously, Jesus is not from the world. So he he does things that are different. I mean, nobody would already would understand this. Nobody would do this. But Jesus did these very different things from the world. He was showing us something different that we don't know, that we don't accept we've not seen before. So um, this was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. There's a thing he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is almost the beginning in my mind of Jesus's, Jesus expressing his love for those who followed him and for those in the future. The next several chapters are really, there's so much in here about love. It's pretty awesome. So I think um, maybe I should stop this podcast and start a new one to continue because there's just like comprehension of being one with someone. Actually, maybe I'll read the, the, I'll continue here for a little bit longer. Um, it talks about Judas. So Judas was a part of it, but right here in chapter 13, the second verse, it says the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. So the devil was working. This is, again, one of the 12 disciples, and the devil is working in Judas so that Judas does what is fulfilled in the scripture. Um, if you ever wonder if God is control, yes, God is in control. God knew all this was going to happen. Jesus is you know, sharing meals with this man that he already knows is going to betray him. He knows he's going to die. He knows, can you imagine if you knew your future? You know, we all kind of want to know our future in a sense. We were eager, you know, a lot of people want to know what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's next. But if we knew that, how do you think we'd actually handle that, knowing that information? That would be pretty tough, especially like if you think about how Jesus had to handle it just to know all of this was going to happen, to know that there was going to be an aloneness, that all of your 12 closest best friends were going to just abandon you in your greatest suffering, in your greatest, not suffering, your greatest concern about having to deal with a physical death and having people come against you and you were completely abandoned, but you only have one who still remains with you. And that's God. And that's Jesus even talks about that later in this, about how everybody really has abandoned him except for his father. His father never abandoned him. And that's the same thing that Jesus offers to all of us too. Everybody in this world can leave us and abandon us, but we're always going to have God. That's someone that no one can ever take from you. 
despite anything that happens in your life. That is the the one person who will never, ever, ever abandon you. And that's something very, very comforting um, if you believe that. And I believe that, but not everyone does. So let's see. Um, so Jesus proceeds to wash the feet of his disciples and they are really confused. They're like, why are you doing this? Don't wash my feet. This is, you know, weird. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're, we, you're our teacher and you've been teaching us everything yet. You're taking the role of a servant and washing our feet. And so Jesus pretty much tells them, um, that they don't realize he, he says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Jesus, uh, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is kind of uh, symbolic again, uh, because unless we baptize, we are not a part of Jesus. Like, it is, it's a ceremonial washing of our sinful life, our sinful nature. That's kind of like what, what baptism is. And, and that's almost like symbolic about Jesus washing here, um, his, the disciples' feet. It's kind of symbolic of that as well. Jesus answered, he said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So again, he's pointing out Judas. He knows that his other followers are true followers. But Judas, even though he's present and appears to be the same as the other 11, he's not the same. There's something else. There's something evil working in him. And Jesus knows that. So um, Jesus also says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is setting an example. He is becoming, he has, he's telling them, I'm the example. You need to do what I'm doing. I'm, I'm te- I've been teaching all along. He only had like three years. I think he started teaching um, when he was about 30 in accordance with the study Bible that I have 30 to 33. And that when he was about 33, I think is when um, he died on the cross. So he had about three years to sh- do all these things. And several of the books in in the Bible say that this was not, um, this was only a sampling of everything he did. There would just not be enough room to put everything that he did. So that's another fascinating thing. So we're, again, we only get a glimpse of history. We don't know every single thing that happened. Um, And the Bible doesn't tell us all of that. So um, just says that there's more that's not documented here. So I'm going to end this podcast and I'm going to pick up. I'm kind of mid chapter 13 and I'm going to continue on um, with the study of the Gospel of John. So join me in the next podcast.